The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. I spent the week in Bachia's world. I'm talking about Bachia ben Asher ibn Halawa who's more commonly referred to as Rabbeinu Bachya, or Rabbeinu Bachaye, some pronounce it. And not just rabbi there, but Rabbeinu, which means our rabbi, our rabbi Bachya. And the, the term of endearment there makes sense to me, because he really is such an endearing figure. Bachya was born in the 1200s in Zaragoza, Spain, and he became a well-known scholar and preacher, but apparently lived in total poverty. In the introduction to his commentary on the Torah, he calls himself a wretched soul who suffered all kinds of trials and tribulations. He also says that he was reluctant to write a commentary at all. How will I muster the right words, he says, for I know nothing. How will I give insight when I stumble over every idea? I am a fool among men and not a person of any understanding. All of which is, of course, totally untrue. As soon as we open up his commentary, we quickly see what a profoundly brilliant and creative thinker he was. But how does he respond to his own feelings of inadequacy? As follows. But what can I do, he says? My soul longs for the Torah. Nafshi chashka Torah. So I gathered my strength and entered into a realm where I didn't belong. Nichnasti b'mechitza she'ena sheli. And through my labor, I made it my own. Oh my goodness. He's a man after my own heart. Now, all that is, is very nice. But, but what about his commentary? Well, of course, that's the kicker. It is just so fantastic. The first thing one is struck by is its unusual layered structure. Because he divides it into four levels of analysis. His commentaries usually start with Der Hapshat the simple path, where he just explains the plain meaning of the verse. Then he turns to Derech HaMidrash, the path of interpretation, in which he gives over some of the classic rabbinic interpretations of the verse, along with his own elaboration. Sometimes he moves on to Derech HaSechel, the path of the intellect, which is meant to show how the Torah is compatible with reason and the worldly sciences. And finally, every once in a while, there's Derech HaOr, the path of light, which is really the path of mysticism. And indeed, Rabbeinu Bache is famous for being one of the first to explicitly incorporate Kabbalah into his commentary. So there's a lot going on here. But more than just being complex and multi-layered, taking this four-tiered approach tells us that he doesn't just see one meaning in the text. He's making it clear that the Torah is pulsating with multiple meanings. Any one verse is operating on at least four levels simultaneously. This is a text which can't be pinned down to one interpretation. 
Now, of course, the whole tradition of Parshanut, of Torah commentary, implicitly acknowledges that. Just by lining up so many different thinkers and their different reads of the text across the generations, this chorus of voices testifies to the dynamism of the text. But Rabbeinu Bachia does this all by himself. But enough about the man. Let's see him in action. So here's the big question this week as we come to the end of the book of Exodus. And it's the same question we've had for five weeks now, really, but it's getting harder and harder to ignore. And the question is this, why, oh why, does the Torah spend so much time painstakingly detailing the construction of the tabernacle? It was already kind of rough going when we had a a whole Parsha of God explaining how to build the tabernacle, and then another whole Parsha where God explains how to make the priestly garments. But then we had an exciting little narrative break where he read about the making of the golden calf and Moses smashing the first tablets and having to go back for a second set of tablets. All very dramatic. And then we come back for another Parsha that describes how the tabernacle was then built according to God's plan, meaning a total repeat of the same information. And now, here we are at Parsha Pekude for, you guessed it, Another Parsha explaining how the priestly garments were made according to specification. I just, I can't take it anymore. This is just maddening. The Torah is just killing us with all these details. Why? Why? Well, Rabbeinu Bachia has an answer for us. And it's one that is so deeply satisfying because he doesn't just explain why there are all these details. He manages to turn them into a pleasure to go back and read again. Here he is in his commentary on the first verse of our Parsha, Exodus 38:21, which speaks about the Pikudei Hamishkan, the details of the tabernacle. After he's given us the, the simple path, Der Chapshat, and moved on to the path of interpretation, Der Hamidrash, he says, this is all, all these details, this is all to teach you that the dwelling place below parallels the dwelling place above. The tabernacle is equivalent to the creation of the world. The building of the tabernacle is meant to parallel the creation of the world. And just as God creates a space for us to dwell, so then do we turn around and build a place for God to dwell here on earth. It's just that it's a lot harder for us to do, so we really have to work out all the details. And Bachia helps us to do that. He carefully lays out various verses across all these last five readings in which we see echoes of the creation story. And some of the most striking ones are right here in our Parsha. At the very end of the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, when it's all ready to go, we read this. And Moses saw all the work, Vayar Moshe et kol hamalacha vehine, and behold, they had done it, just as God had commanded, so they had done. And Moses blessed them, Vayverechotam Moshe. Now, if you've been following the reading of the Torah carefully from the start, then you can't read a line like this and not think of these lines 
from early on in Genesis. And God saw all that God had done. And behold, it was very good. And God finished on the seventh day all the work that God had done. And God blessed the seventh day. The language there is so similar, it's hard to deny that our Parsha this week is directly referencing the creation story. And there's much more, lots of similar parallels. It's actually really dazzling to go through them all. Now, Bachia doesn't take credit for spotting all of this. He actually starts by referencing an earlier rabbinic tradition in the Midrash Tanchuma, where the rabbis link up every day of creation with some piece of the tabernacle. We won't go through them all here, but some of the best are, uh, in the creation it is written, let there be lights, and in the tabernacle it is written, you shall make a lamp. In the creation, it is written, let birds fly. And in the tabernacle, it is written, the cherubs will have wings that spread out. It's just a really cool series of connections that the Midrash Tanchuma makes. And it's, it's well worth a look at the original. But after he goes through them all, Bachia says something that I just love him for. Look at how delicately he suggests that maybe he'll do a little riffing of his own. Venerali, he says, it seems to me, that from this general principle that we've learned, we can begin to innovate and flesh out some more details. Because, he says, I found some other parallels. And then he really goes to town. He goes on for the next two pages, making all kinds of wild and wonderful connections between the tabernacle and the creation of the world. And of course, we won't list them all, but Again, here are some highlights. He says, just as the world was first just a thought and only after was made in the six days of creation, so too you find in the tabernacle the thinking out and then the doing. Now this one is especially nice because it gives some meaning to the repetitive parshas. There's the thought ones and the action ones. Okay, here's Rabbeinu Bachia again. Just as the world didn't have to be created, he says, and was done only as a gift and a kindness, as it says, Olam chesed yibane, the world is founded on kindness, so too the tabernacle was built through gifts, as it says, whose heart moves them, everyone who was generous of heart donated. That's a lovely connection. And, and, and here's more. Just as the world was created, and in the future it will come to an end and then be renewed after the great Sabbath, so too the tabernacle and then the temple will in the future come to an end and be destroyed and then renewed. Now, this one I don't even totally understand. It's kind of ominous, but it's a fascinating and mysterious mixture of doom and hope that Rabbeinu Bachia sees in both the world and in the tabernacle. He goes on and on, connections and more connections, and it's all great stuff. And then he begins to come to a close with this suggestive turn of phrase. And there are no doubt other things, aside from the ones I've mentioned, that I didn't write down, but I know them too. Well, well, aren't you being mysterious? You know them too, do you? It's a bit cheeky, but hey, I like the bravado there. But wait, it was such a strange thing for Bachia to say, kind of boasting like that. I know them too. 
that when I saw there was a footnote in the edition I had, I had to go take a look. And this is what I found. I know them too, it says, and some versions of the text have the edition, and there also are some I don't know. Ah, now this I really liked. And talk about mystery. Bachia is saying that there are so many connections we've already found, he can only guess that there must be many more that he doesn't even know about. I like to think that this is the right version of the text, because it tracks with the feeling I've gotten from Bachia so far. He's a humble man who feels that this is all too magnificent for him to dare to fathom, but he's so enchanted, so thrilled, so curious, that he just has to press on to discover more. And this version actually also fits better with the end of the sentence. And the details which I've mentioned and come up with are really just the doorway to other things. A doorway to understand other things. I think fundamentally Bachia believes that this project of making connections is infinite because the Torah is infinite. And because if the tabernacle is meant to replicate the creation of the world, that means there's a whole world in the tabernacle, vast and intricate and mysterious, like creation itself. The details of the tabernacle are just a doorway to other things, to other worlds. Because if the tabernacle contains a mini world in itself, then perhaps every great creation is like a microcosm. Every great artist also fashions a little world, every poet and every painter. And every inventor, every theorist, every philosopher is a world creator. And every Torah commentator recreates the world of the Torah. Like the tabernacle, every one of us contains an entire world. This week, I lived in Rabbeinu Bachia's world. And behold, it was very good. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom. And our theme song is Pitchuli by Hillel Tige. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.